0: On Tuesday night in Kansas, pro-abortion rights voters threw a victory party. People there had just overwhelmingly rejected an amendment aimed at restricting abortion rights. And and for us, it was really finding um, common ground around protecting constitutional rights, uh, protecting freedom um, to make those decisions for yourself and your family. That's Ashley All, a spokeswoman for the pro-abortion rights group Kansans for Constitutional Freedom. And she was there celebrating this first big election victory for abortion access since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. You
1: know, pro-choice activists were already engaged. They were already working hard. And, you know, what I think the decision to overturn Roe did was wake up A whole bunch of moderate Republican voters, moderate, you know, unaffiliated voters, who really thought that their constitutional rights were protected at the federal level. And come June, uh, they found that that was not the case.
0: For Hannah Knowles, a campaign reporter for The Post, this was a really big deal and one that not many people expected
1: we didn't really know what was going to happen. And going into it, you had public polling showing that this was going to be close and that, you know, maybe the opponents of abortion um, would actually have the edge. Um, But in the end, um, there was just massive turnout. And you saw a really decisive victory for supporters of abortion access, um, 60 percent of them saying, you know, we want to keep this protection in our state constitution.
0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Elaje Izadi, in for Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, August 3rd. Today, we talk with Hannah about what happens when abortion is on the ballot. And we'll also get into Tuesday's other primary results. Republicans in several states ended up choosing candidates who denied that President Biden won in 2020. Hannah takes us through what this means for the midterms this fall. Let's start with Kansas, where there was a big win for abortion rights
1: last night. Can you explain what that vote was about? So people in Kansas voted on whether they want their state to protect abortion access. And it was a huge deal because it was the first chance that people had to vote on this massive um, nationwide issue since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade this summer. And so um, I I think that, you know, this is a huge victory for um, supporters of abortion rights. And certainly it will boost Democrats' arguments that this is a motivating issue for voters. And I think you'll see them really try to, as they already have emphasized this issue in the midterms, to turn people out in the fall. Um, We saw turnout that was double um, the primary turnout from 2018, um, the last midterms in Kansas. Um, So clearly um, this is an issue that brought people out to vote.
0: The vote in Kansas, it feels like there was a lot of drama happening in the lead up to it, right? Like it wasn't just a straightforward thing.
1: Yes. And um, the lawmakers who put this measure on the ballot, um, they figured a primary would have lower turnout um, than in November. Like, you know, that would favor um, their side, the people who oppose abortion. Um, We also saw just criticisms about the wording of the ballot. Will this be confusing to people because a no vote on that ballot measure meant you do not want to amend the Constitution to pave the way for potential rollbacks in abortion rights? And then you also saw deliberate attempts to mislead voters. There was this um, Republican-backed effort to tell voters that um, a yes vote would be a vote for like women's choice, which is not correct. It's the opposite.
0: And how did this question even end up on the ballot? It, it seemed like it all came together very quickly after the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade. And this is like the first time that voters are directly responding and giving, giving an answer as to whether they want abortion access or they want to restrict abortion access. So what's the backstory here?
1: This actually dates back to a court ruling from 2019 where... The court found that the Kansas Constitution actually protects abortion access. And so, you know, after that, you saw um, Republican lawmakers in Kansas trying to get this measure on the ballot that would actually say, no, our Constitution does not um, protect this procedure. Um, And there were multiple attempts to get it on the ballot. Um, It ended up moving forward um, before Roe v. Wade was overturned. Um, But then, you know, in in May, when we get the leaked um, draft of the Supreme Court's opinion, and then in June, when we get the actual ruling, that totally supercharged the issue and you see increasing interest. You see, you know, lots of money being spent on both sides. You see people going out to knock on doors. Um, There's really this massive um, organizing effort that springs up on both sides because Hmm. they know that, you know, everyone will be watching this as the first electoral test of this issue since Roe v. Wade was overturned. And it will set the stage and probably inspire a lot of similar efforts in other states.
0: Wow. So just so I'm clear, though, the reason this sort of ended up on the ballot, it was Republicans pushing for it to be on the ballot, right?
1: Yes. So Republican lawmakers put this on the ballot because they wanted to amend their state constitution to say that um, it does not protect access to abortion.
0: Okay. And then it didn't turn out the way they wanted. I mean, this just sort of feels like that saying, like, mess around and find out. Like, they pushed for this thing. And then it turned out that not only did voters overwhelmingly reject what they wanted, but many more people came out to vote.
1: Yeah, no, it's a definitely a repudiation of what they were trying to accomplish. And Kansas is not a liberal state. You know, California is also going to have a ballot measure about abortion access in the fall. And no one will be surprised if California um, protects the procedure. But you see that even in these red-leaning states that are passing fairly strict abortion bans, this is not what the public favors. Yeah, so
0: speaking of other states, mentioned California, um, are we seeing similar ballot referendums anywhere else in the country right now?
1: Yes. So there will be um, ballot measures um, in several states in the fall about abortion access, um, mostly in states um, where, again, I don't think it'll be a surprise if people want to keep abortion rights. So California, Vermont, places like that. There is a push underway to put something about abortion on the ballot in Michigan, which is a super important swing state. There will be lots of very competitive races there. And so certainly if that is on the ballot, um, Democrats will be hoping that that gives them the edge in, say, you know, the governor's race um, and really turns out Democrats who are passionate about this issue. Yeah, I guess looking ahead to the
0: midterms, whether or not there are referendums on the ballot in the fall of 2022. What is the takeaway from this Kansas vote, the, the national sort of like lesson here? Is there something to say about how this all played out and what that will mean for either referendums on the ballot or just candidates who are on either side of this issue and how they'll campaign on it?
1: I think the takeaway is that even in conservative states like Kansas, public wants to preserve a fair amount of access to abortion. And, you know, people can argue over later term abortions, which represent a pretty small portion of the procedure. Right. But at the end of the day, people do not want the very strict bans that we're seeing passing around the country. You know, We've already seen Democratic candidates really lean into this issue. Um, I think we'll continue to see that. We'll probably continue to see a lot of Republican candidates sort of tiptoe around the issue and not want to make it central to their campaigns, especially in um, swing states.
0: Yeah, and just like the whole thing about it just driving more and more people to the polls. I mean, isn't it true like historically during a midterm year that the opposition party to the president can fare quite well, and there are a lot of predictions about Republicans retaking the House, potentially retaking the Senate. Like, are Republicans worried about the Supreme Court decision coming on the heels of the midterms?
1: You know, when you ask Republicans, uh, most of them will say, at the end of the day, we think people will be voting on their worries about the economy, um, their worries about crime. We think that these other issues will actually override um, abortion. And we are still You know, everyone, I think, is expecting um, Republicans to make large gains in the House at this point. But the Senate is very much a toss up. And you're seeing vulnerable Democratic senators say, elect me and I will prevent a potential national abortion ban. Um, And there is they're really tapping into this concern that we won't just see state level abortion bans. But at a certain point, you could see Republican legislatures at the federal level really try to pass something nationally.
0: After the break, we take you to other elections around the country where Trump-backed candidates have won some key victories. We'll be right back. Hannah, there were also several other primary elections last night. And Yesterday, we saw several candidates who denied that Biden won the presidency, won their primary races. So let's start with Michigan. What happened there?
1: In Michigan, everyone was watching um, the primary um, involving Representative Peter Meyer, um, and he is one of the 10 House Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump last year after um, the January 6th attack on the Capitol. You know, so he was challenged um, from the right. Former Trump administration official named John Gibbs, who denies the 2020 election results like a lot of other Republicans running this year, um, was hoping to unseat Meyer, and he succeeded. I think this has meaning not just to me, but this is actually nationwide. And I think if you wanted to say it in the shortest way possible, power to the people. And it was, you know, a close race, but by the end of the night, um, you know, Meyer had conceded. And an extra twist in this race was that Democrats had actually invested heavily Mm -hmm. to boost um, John Gibbs because they see him as an easier person to beat in this district that actually leans slightly blue in Michigan. And so, um, you know, that was pretty controversial. Um, You saw Democrats and Republicans saying this is hypocritical because we've been denouncing these candidates as dangerous to democracy and now we're elevating them because we think it'll help us in the fall. Um, So, you know, it, it ended up paying off in some ways, but certainly, you know, not everyone was happy with that decision. I feel
0: like I saw that in a few other races last night and just previously, right? Democrats getting involved in, in, in that way.
1: Yeah. Democrats also got involved in um, a primary in California featuring another one of these House Republicans who voted to impeach David Valadeo. And he did advance, but you did see um, Democrats still try to boost his opponent and run, you know, ads against him.
0: Okay, let's now turn to Arizona. You've been following races there. Can you tell me about who won?
1: It was a good night for candidates who deny the 2020 election results and who have the backing of Donald Trump. We saw um, Blake Masters win um, the Senate nomination, and he has said Trump won in 2020. Arizonans
0: know that Joe Biden and the radical Democrats have failed. And most Arizonans, turns out, they
1: want common sense policies. Every Arizonan, every American, we all deserve a government who will secure the southern border. He's also advocated for a nationwide abortion ban. I mean, he's really staked out um, positions that are You know, will be controversial in a swing state like Arizona that has previously sent people like um, John McCain and Jeff Flake and Kristen Sinema to the Senate, right? Um, So he really represents a different kind of Republican there. Um, And he will be challenging um, Mark Kelly in the fall. And it's expected to be a really close and really expensive race. Uh, Mark Fincham won the GOP nomination for secretary of state, which is a role that would have um, oversight of elections in 2024 in this key battleground that Trump lost in 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to repair our election system. We have got to prevent Democrat imposters, Democrats registered as Republicans infiltrating our party and our elections. It's happening all across the nation, it's happening in these races. Fincham, as a state lawmaker, has been at the forefront of the Stop the Steal movement. Um, He wants to decertify the 2020 vote. Um, He also has called to ban voting machines and count all the votes by hand. I mean, these really, really far out proposals. He was at the Capitol on January 6th outside the Capitol. He says he didn't go in, but he was there, you know, in the crowd. Um, And so he just represents, um, you know, the absolute extreme. And people are, you know, honestly, really afraid of, you know, what he could do with um, the power of Secretary of State if he was elected. He is really um, the most extreme of the extreme. Um, and then at the same time, you saw um, Carrie Lake, a Trump-backed candidate for governor, in a very close race with Karen Taylor Robson, who was backed by actually Mike Pence. And when we get into office, we are going to reform our elections for once and for all. That was really this showdown between like different kind of factions of the Republican Party, right? The, the group that wants to talk about 2020 and the group that really just wants to move on. Um, and at this point, um, Carrie Lake has taken a slight lead and she was expected to kind of keep gaining as the election day votes are counted because her supporters are more distrustful of male voting.
0: Was it surprising that any of these people who won Tuesday night won their primaries?
1: I don't think anyone in Arizona is really surprised that um, the kind of Trump brand of Republicanism still has a lot of traction in the state. It's been just totally at the epicenter of Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. You had this months long um, partisan audit of the vote that was sanctioned by state lawmakers. And so, um, you know, clearly uh, he still has a lot of sway in Arizona.
0: How involved did he get in the primaries from Tuesday night and how much of an influence did his endorsement actually carry?
1: He was very involved, um, especially in Arizona, where he just, uh, you know, endorsed people up and down the ballot. Um, You know, same thing in Michigan. He got involved even in a large number of state legislative races. And certainly, you know, that's really helpful in those kind of lower information races. Um, But we also saw him sort of back off from... A full-throated endorsement in the Missouri Senate race, where he ended up issuing this last-minute endorsement for just Eric. And there are two <laughs> candidates named Eric. No, it was it was just, just this bizarre thing on Monday where he says he's going to weigh in already it would be you know super last minute you know unclear how much of a difference right. um you know he could make in this race at that point um and then you know by the end of the day he just weighs in for no one in particular and says you know voters choose between the erics um so <laughs> between two erics yeah yeah um and and that race was Um, Notable, too, because um, a lot of Republicans were worried about one of the candidates, Eric Greitens, who has been accused of domestic abuse by his Mm ex-wife this year. Greitens has denied um, the allegations from his ex-wife. He also denied the allegations that led him to resign from the governor's office in 2018, although he did admit to having an affair. He released an ad, um, a very threatening ad, in which he urges people to go rhino hunting. And that's a reference to Republicans in name only, this favorite insult of Trump and his supporters. And today we're going rhino hunting. The rhino feeds on corruption and
0: is marked by the stripes of cowardice.
1: And so, um, you know... You saw all these kind of establishment Republicans who had been urging Trump, please do not back Greitens, do not back Greitens. And that continued on Monday as Trump sets off this scramble saying he's going to endorse someone. And then in the end, um, Greitens was significantly behind the winner, Eric Schmidt.
0: In general, are we seeing a lot of election deniers, people who deny that Biden won in 2020, win their primaries? Like, is it safe to call this a national trend?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. We're seeing these kinds of candidates um, have a lot of success in the primaries. There are, you know, some notable exceptions, like in the spring in Georgia, um, you saw Trump and his candidates um, really suffer some stinging defeats. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp, who he targeted because he had voted to certify the election, um, won in just a landslide. And that was kind of seen as, you know, maybe um, the Republican establishment really can sort of push the party in a different direction. Um, but I think, you know, Arizona certainly suggests something different. You know, there are lots of other states where Trump's had a great deal of success.
0: And do we know whether these candidates, the the people running for office who deny that Biden won in 2020, whether they are coordinating with each other across states? Like, it seems like there's just a lot of like-minded candidates. And is there any sort of coordinated effort um, for them to come together and support each other's campaigns?
1: Yeah, you see a lot of um, kind of Trump aligned candidates campaigning for each other, supporting each other. I mentioned this coalition of secretaries of state who, you know, want to decertify the 2020 vote. They want to overhaul, you know, early voting. um, And they are certainly, you know, communicating with each other, coordinating with each other. Um, In Arizona, for example, you saw just up and down the ballot, all these Trump endorsed candidates. Um, you know, coming together for rallies, right, and kind of presenting themselves as this sort of unified America first slate.
0: And do these candidates have a good chance at succeeding in the fall? And what would be the consequences if, if they were successful?
1: That's a great question. Democrats definitely hope that in the end, voters will just see these candidates as too extreme and especially see their kind of campaigns against Democracy itself is too extreme, but at the end of the day, it's also expected to be this red wave election where Republicans are talking a lot about President Biden's low approval ratings and about concerns about the economy. And there is real fear among Democrats that, you know, that could help some of these really far out candidates. And so, you know, they definitely say, you know, we're, we don't want to write off Finchams and the Kerry Lakes, and, and they still have a shot.
0: Looking at the big slate of races that took place Tuesday night, the abortion vote in Kansas and all the other primaries, do you have one big takeaway about what what that means for the future of not just the country, but just specifically, I guess, the midterms?
1: I think the big takeaways are just that candidates are still very much aligning themselves with Trump and his ideas, and um, they are succeeding, um, at least within GOP primaries. And then at the same time, there is this, I think, glimmer of hope for Democrats in a really tough election year that abortion, you know, they certainly think it could be a game-changer issue in these tight races. And if they can get that message out to people, it could be really powerful in the fall.
0: Thank you, Hannah, for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Hannah Knowles is a campaign reporter for The Post. This segment was produced by Arjun Singh. Thank you to our colleague, Annie Gowan, who contributed reporting from Kansas. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was mixed by Sean Carter. It was edited by Rena Flores. Before we go, I just wanted to remind you that right now we have a survey running to learn more about your listening habits so we can serve you better. We would love to hear from you, and it shouldn't take much more than five minutes to complete. Go to WashingtonPost.com podcastsurvey podcast survey. That's WashingtonPost.com podcastsurvey podcast survey. When you're done, you can enter to win a $100 gift card. We really appreciate your help, and thank you so much. I'm Elahe Izadi. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post.